real quick, um, to give you guys an update, the container, uh, the Malawi container, is in, it has arrived at the Passion Center. Um, it took us, what, six months to fill it? They emptied it in 40 minutes. Uh, <laughs> but, thank God, uh, that's being distributed as we speak, so that's exciting. All right, let me get my, oh, my Bible's down here, let's get that. Probably need this today. Um, so... We're going to be continuing in the book of Joshua. If you've not been with us, this is our 83rd message in the book of Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter number 11. Um, we're going to today be between verses 7 and 9. Um, but what I'm going to do first of all is take us through a review of where we were last week. Um, Chris, what's up, buddy? <laughs> Amen. Um, last week we were in Joshua chapter 11, verse number 6. And what we were doing last week was that message is called Trusting God over chariots, part number one. And we're considering how the southern, the fall of the southern um, kingdoms of Canaan at the hand of the Israelites had caused this reaction from the northern kingdoms to respond by aggressively coming together as one unified massive army at a place called Miram. And Miram is in northern Canaan. And they gathered there for one purpose, which was to wage war on God and his people. And recognize in this moment that this is the largest military force that they have faced or will face in all of Canaan. This is huge. It actually equivalents, works out to be about 10 different kingdoms as well as six other people groups. So you're looking at about 16 armies generating into one specific army. And what we did last week is recognize the fact that Joshua's first thing in recognition of what was coming was to wisely turn to God. He turned to the Lord. And when you and I are facing whatever opposition is coming our way, no matter how big it may be, no matter small or large, we face our day. You know what we should do? Turn to the Lord. We should ask God to guide us through whatever circumstance is ahead of us. And that's exactly what Joshua does. He turns to the Lord. And what we did last week was we dissected the instructions that God had given to Joshua. We looked at it from different components. And what we've definitely learned as we've been applying and studying the book of Joshua is recognizing the concept of realizing how God takes these Old Testament pictures and types, these stories that we hear that are real historical events, but he's shown us how to take these historical events and how they're dealt with here to teach us how to take them and apply the same truths into our lives. The Old Testament is given to us as a picture book so that we can take examples that we can see and visualize and we can understand the tactics and strategies that are used there and we apply them into our lives on a spiritual sense. And we've certainly learned that as we've studied the book of Joshua. But what we noticed here, as we walk through our daily struggles and the adversities that are to come, we must learn from from the example. Now, the first thing God instructed Joshua was to do, first thing he did was he reassured him. He told him specifically, be not afraid because of them. Now, this is before they ever even get there. This is simply in preparation. Joshua's gone to God and God tells him, listen, be not afraid because of them. And we discussed last week, last week the powerful impact that fear can have on even the greatest of Christians. Those that have dealt with incredible adversity and seen God do miraculous things, guess what? Just like Joshua, people of great faith can still experience fear. Yeah. It's just a reality of being human, right? And recognition of that human frailty, that human problem, what we did was we looked at what's the solution? What counteracts fear and its power? And we discovered it's faith. It's faith. Understanding that God has a purpose and a plan and has knowledge and understanding of what's to come allows us to put our faith in Him and allow fear to be destroyed through our faith. Amen. And so what happens, we've been given this incredible gift 
of faith. And it's trusting in God's sovereignty. It's God's understanding of, the what's, of what tomorrow holds, but also God's control and power over everything. It's trusting God's, God's character. What is God's character? God's character is that He loves humanity. He wants what's best for us. So if that's the case, we can walk forward by faith and not by fear. Then we, look, then we talked about the second thing, which is the, the timing. One of the things that God said to him, he said, listen, tomorrow about this time, you're going to be there. Well, this was a, quite a journey, so this is an expectation. Listen, you guys need to leave right now. That's a massive undertaking. But what they did was God said, listen, you need to do it now. And we discussed how difficult it can be for us as believers or even anyone to adhere to someone else's timeline. How difficult it is sometimes for someone to give an expectation of this is how long it's going to take. I need you to do it now or I need you to wait. And what happens, it can be frustrating for us. It comes down to a matter of trust. Will I trust God's timing and live accordingly or will I be frustrated and irritated and complain because things are not going based upon the way that I want them to? Then we took note of how God spoke of the victory. He guaranteed the victory because what was interesting is he spoke about it as if it was already accomplished just in his instructions. And it was interesting. We looked at it and we go, okay, well, how does God do that? And it brought us to a discussion of God's omnipresence, God's omniscience, God's power and understanding, his omnipotence. So recognize the fact that God has power over matter, over space, and over time. He created our reality and can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and in any fashion that he chooses. And that's that understanding, the fact that God knows not only what's happened in the past, not only what's happening in the present, in every aspect. It's, it's, it's incredible for us to think about the fact that God is uniquely connected to each of us individually all over this planet simultaneously in this very second where you feel connected to God. There are people in Africa, in Asia, all over this planet, everywhere that are experiencing the exact same intimate, close, personal relationship. Because we're limited by one one-on-one. But see, God's not worked that way. God functions and He loves us all equally and in the same moment. And our brain can't conceive it, but that's exactly what's taking place. And it's being connected to that God and understanding the fact that he's telling, he's guaranteeing the victory because he already knows. He's already seen the victory. And we discussed how his instructions went even further, where they actually went to the fact of he was removing their distractions. He was protecting them from carnal temptations. Because what happened was there were these chariots, these, these massive chariots, War chariots that were, man, the, the greatest technology, war technology at the world at the time. An amazing number of horses and chariots lined up. This technology came from Egypt. And here it was available to them. But God said, listen, I don't want you to use those chariots. I don't want you to take those chariots. I don't want you to leave those chariots behind. I want you to destroy those chariots. I want you to destroy the chariots and I want you to make those horses of no use. You're going to cut the tendon in the back of their leg. And you know what? They won't be able to pull heavy loads. They won't be used for war anymore. I want you to eliminate it because God wanted them to put their faith in him and him alone. Not to trust in anything. Because what happens is we find in Scripture that God warns about trusting in horses and trusting in chariots. Because what happens when we do that is we shift our focus off of trusting the Lord and we trust the things of the world. And God's trying to protect them from that. That's what he's telling them. And so as we pick back up with Joshua going uh, towards this massive confrontation, okay, remember this is a tremendous, tremendous force that they're going to come against. What we're going to do today is we're going to walk through the confrontation. We're going to look at how the instructions actually manifested themselves in the actual battle. And we're going to do this in four, four stages. First, we're going to look at Israel's response to God's instructions. Then we'll look at God's response to Israel's obedience. Then we'll look at Israel's persistence 
in completing their mission, and then Israel's adherence to God's command. Remember, this is a picture for you and I to learn from how they apply God's instructions in their battle to find victory for you and I in our spiritual battles to face the same kind of stuff. It's the same tactics, the same strategies. In today's message called Trusting God Over Chariots, part two. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for this place. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to, uh, to turn to the Word of God, the fact that it's available in our language. We are so blessed. Lord, I pray that uh, you would take what you've given us. Uh, Lord, I know, I, you know that I've studied this week. I have prayed. I have searched. And uh, Lord, I have, uh, I've asked you to speak to me. I believe that you have. And Lord, I'm asking you now, that, uh, Lord, you'd please just speak through me. I want to just, if you could remove the human element of this message and uh, Lord, use your word to speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray that you give us to have ears to hear that we might be changed in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So um, before we get any further, before we get into it, I want us to start with verse number six, which was the instructions that we heard the previous week. Joshua eleven six 6 says this, And the Lord said unto Joshua, Be not afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. Thou shalt hoof their horses and burn their chariots with fire. And now we shift from instructions. We're going to go into where this battle of Miram is recorded. What's interesting, what's amazing, is this is the biggest battle that's going to take place, and it only was recorded in three verses. Three short verses, verses 11, uh, chapter 11, verses 7 through 9. So Joshua came, and all the people of war with him against them by the waters of Miram, suddenly, and they fell upon them. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Miram, into the hand of Israel, who smote them and chased them under the great Zidon, and under Mishrath Mayim, under the valley of Mizpah, Eastward, and they smote them until they left them none remaining. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him. He hoofed the horses and burnt their chariots with fire. And so following the Lord's fortification of his people, he's been giving them insight, supernatural insight into what's to come. He's given this promised victory. And the Israelites, listen, have taken God's instructions to heart. Okay, they're translating what they've heard and they're ready to go to battle. And this brings us to our first point, which is this, Israel's response to God's instructions. Verse number seven says, So Joshua came and all the people of war with him against them by the waters of Miram suddenly, and they fell upon them. So last week we mentioned that instead of arguing with God, instead of complaining about the circumstance or situation, they simply adapt in the moment and they respond by doing what God tells them, doing what God tells them to do. Joshua simply trusts God. And what verse number seven shows us is all of the people of war trusted God as well. Notice what it says. So Joshua came and all the people of war with him. So they did not allow their fear to impact their actions. They literally fully commit themselves to their God-given responsibility. Their God-given responsibility is to take the promised land for the glory of God and it would become the home of the Israelites. So now they head directly to, to Miram as a united, united in their mission, letter A, united in their mission, Joshua came and all the people of war with him. So just as their enemies are united in their defiance and disobedience to God, God's people are united in their obedience to God. Okay, So we see this. Uh, there, for one, there's going to be a great reward. For one, there's a great victory ahead. For the other, complete destruction. Complete and utter destruction. And this is an amazing life lesson for us. If we consider it in our today, in our in our day and age today, of those who would be obedient to the Lord, okay, those who have literally unified as a body, 
They have trusted Christ as their Savior. Recognize they're going to experience the ultimate victory. They will spend an eternity with their loving Lord. But there are those who oppose God. They stand as a unified force defying Him. The Bible describes them as the children of disobedience in Ephesians 2.2. The children of disobedience. And if they remain disobedient, if they remain defiant, they will stand as a unified group to suffer an eternal defeat. They will experience a loss that is beyond our ability for our human mind to even perceive the loss that they will experience, the suffering that they will experience, because they will pay the price for the debt that has been incurred because of their sin before Almighty God. And it will be in a place called the lake of fire, and there is no way out. And it's not because God didn't love them. He loves them. For God so loved the world, everybody. He loved them. It wasn't about not love but it was because they would not receive His love. They rejected His love. God lovingly offers salvation to the world. And one of the most heartbreaking verses in the entire Bible to me is Revelations 20, verse number 11. And it says this, And I saw a great white throne, and Him that sat on it. This is the judgment of the lost world, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them with their loving Lord, the one that created them for a family, a love relationship, because of their rebellion, there's found no place for them. Not because there's not place. Not because there wasn't space for them. No. There's plenty of room. It's because they rejected God's invitation by way of His Son. I will come my own way. And so we have two unified people groups. One surrendered to God's will. And one, standing defiantly against it. One represented in Joshua and the Israelites. The other represented in a massive, massive pagan army. One is empowered by faith in God. The other is empowered by faith in the world or chariots. They're putting their faith in their military force. And so we see these two groups. The Lord describes these groups in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And what you realize is this, this pagan army is massive. It far outnumbers the Israelites. And what it says here, and many there be which go in thereat. The way of destruction, the larger number will go to the way of destruction. But then there's the smaller number. Verse number 14, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So there are few that will experience the victory of eternal life, and there are a massive number that will experience the defeat of an eternal death. And if we relate this to picturing what we see here in Joshua to our modern day, can I tell you that the pagan forces of our world, those that stand in opposition to God, are united as a group and putting their faith in anything but God. Standing in opposition, ready to wage war on anything or anyone who represents the one true God. They stand in defiance of the Lord and they will celebrate their shared identity of defiance. Romans chapter 1 finishes up that chapter this way. It says, who knowing the judgment of God. Knowing the judgment of God. Realizing that God exists and there is a judgment for sin. Knowing, this is who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. They realize the ramifications of their actions. Not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. 
What that's saying is, guess what? Not only do they partake in the sin, but they celebrate the sin. They celebrate the sin. And our world, boy, oh boy, do we ever see sin celebrated on a level today that we have never in our dreams imagined that we would see. In the last five years alone, things have taken a drastic turn worldwide. And so we see this is where things are going, literally celebration of sin. And if you and I dare point out the biblical truth of what it is, that sin, or the ramifications of that sin, well, God forbid, because we would be labeled as intolerant. Intolerant. Well, guess what? We should be intolerant. We should be intolerant of sin, because guess what? God's intolerant of sin. That's His heart. As a Christian, our shared identity should be that we love sinners, but we hate sin. Right? We're not to make a place for sin. We're not to accept it into our lives. We're not to make it commonplace or part of what we are. You know, I've learned to adapt to it. No. It should always make us uncomfortable. It should always make us feel like a peculiar person because guess what? That's what we're supposed to be. We should stand out. We should be holy amongst an unholy generation. So tolerance of sin is a danger. If you see, while one group sees, seeks, uh, seeks to serve themselves, the other is seeking to serve God. One is trying to fulfill what they want. The other is trying to fulfill what God wants. And what's playing, for, uh, playing out for us here at Miram is a graphic display of two unified groups in conflict. God's people versus God's enemies. One will experience victory and eternal life, and the other will experience defeat and eternal death. But not only are Joshua and the Israelites united in their mission, but we also see that they're immediate in their response. Immediate in their response. Notice this, verse 7 says this, So Joshua came and all the people of war with him against them by the waters of Miram suddenly. Okay, that little detail is added in there. Suddenly. This indicates that the Israelites' arrival was not was a surprise to their enemies. They were not prepared. You see, these pagans would have known exactly where Gilgal was. They would know exactly where it was because this is their land. So they have exact understanding of where Joshua and the Israelites are. And they know how difficult it is to mobilize a force to move an army because they've just done it. So they would have calculated, you know what, they should be here in a few days. They're not expecting for them to show up the next day. They are not prepared. They are literally caught. It's uh, that expression being caught flat-footed, right? Caught flat-footed just seems to me, and you're, you're, you're not ready. You are not prepared, man. This comes out of nowhere. They are absolutely shocked. We can imagine the frantic cries that must have gone out when those pagans were standing there preparing themselves, feeding their horses, doing whatever they were doing, standing there, and all of a sudden somebody turns around and goes, Israelites! And they're just pouring down the mountain. The pagan encampments would have freaked out. We know that they were already afraid. If we go way back to Joshua chapter 2, Rahab told us, listen, our whole country is scared. Everyone's already on edge. They're already worried. These soldiers have heard that, listen, all of southern Canaan is done. All those armies are done. Jericho fell in an afternoon. Can you imagine the fear that they're feeling? And God's already told us that He's preparing the way, right? These pagan encampments are filling up with the Israelites as they're wreaking havoc. And we understand that God arranged this. Remember what he told Joshua in chapter number six, or verse number six. Be not afraid because of them. Listen, this is not a problem. For tomorrow about this time will I deliver them up all slain before Israel. They're as good as dead. 
He says, look, I'm going to deliver them on a silver platter to you, Joshua. And that's exactly what he does. And it says here that the Israelites fell upon them. You see, this ambush came about to, bring, to, to destroy their enemies. It came about because Joshua and his men, they did what God asked them to do. It was made possible because of the fact that he was immediate in his response. He acted exactly what God said, this is what you do, and he did it. He didn't argue. He didn't come up with his own scenarios. He just did it. And how many times, if we think about our own hearts and our own lives, how many times has God communicated to us by way of His Word, by way of His Spirit, by way of sitting in a message, and you get convicted over something, we hear it and we go, you know what? I'm changing that. I'm changing that. Today's the day. But you get to your car, and you've already forgotten. How many times have we been convicted to act, and we do not act? We don't take action. And then we're frustrated by the fact that our circumstances don't change. And yet God says, hey, I told you what to do. Hello, you asked me, and guess what? I told you. Now, do it. Do it. This is why it works. This is why Joshua experiences what he experiences. Because guess what? He just does it. Joshua and his men are successful because they ignored their fear. They trusted God's word and they acted upon his timing. And because of the Israelites' faithfulness, just trust the Lord and His instructions, we get to see the next. What happens? God's response to Israel's obedience. How does God respond to them doing what He told them to do? Verse 8 says this, And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. He did exactly what He said He would do. And what we see here is that in God's response to His peaceful people's faithfulness is that His own faithfulness is revealed in return. He says, you'll do your part, I will, just, I will do my part. We've discussed in the past that God's working in our lives, the way that God moves, is conditional. It's conditional. God tells us what He expects of us, and then what happens, we, we, He responds to it. It's kind of like if we think about our kids, right? If I tell my children when they're little, my kids are all, God, I'm an old man. My, my youngest is going to, or my oldest is going to turn 30. Is that unbelievable? God, crazy. Anyway, my own moment, sorry. Back, back with y'all. Here we go. Um, but I think about my kids. When I think about my kids, they're all like 11, 9, and 6, something like that. So that's what I'm visualizing my, when I say my kids. And so I'm thinking about, it's like, you know, you say, hey, listen, if you guys will clean your rooms, you know what we'll do? We're going to get ice cream. We're going to get ice cream. I'm taking you all out for ice cream. We're going to do it. And then they go, Dad, can we have ice cream? And I go, okay. Well, did you clean your room? So I want to give you ice cream. I'm all about getting ice cream. I want ice cream myself. I'm ready to go get it. <laughs> but there's a condition. I gave you an expectation of what I need you to do. If you did what I asked you to do, guess what we're going to do? We're going to go get ice cream. Rewarding obedience. Right? That's good parenting. Guess what? That's how God works. Notice 2 Chronicles 7.14, one of the most famous verses. Many of you will know this. If my people, notice the first word, if... If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, here's the next word, then, if and then, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. God is all prepared and ready to bless us if we will be, if we will be obedient. This is what we're seeing with Joshua. But guess what? At the same time, if we choose disobedience, God is prepared to punish Listen to this. And there's a ton of examples. Obviously, you can use I'll just pull one verse because I don't have time. Deuteronomy 8, 19. It says, and it shall be. If thou, 
do it all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. You want to turn your back on me? Guess what? You're going to face the punishment. And you just type in the word if into your program on your, to your, for your King James Bible. The word if shows up 1,420 times in the Bible. If, 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 if you will do what I ask of you, you'll see me work. God responds to our choices. He responds to our faithfulness. As He offers salvation to any and all, man, His amazing grace offers salvation to the world. We were talking in the teens class this morning, talking about what is grace. Grace is to offer something that's not deserved. Salvation is not deserved by any human on this earth, not a one of us. And yet, by God's grace, He offers salvation to everyone. Grace simply means something that's given that's not deserved. That's God. And so by God's grace, He offers it to the world. And any and all who will receive it by faith, man, guess what? They get it. If you'll choose to receive it, you'll get it. John, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, that means anybody in the world, whosoever believeth in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. It's not qualifying a specific group. It's saying, listen, if you will simply do what I ask of you, which is by faith, receive my Son as your Savior, guess what? You'll be saved. Simple and straightforward. We receive the gift of eternal life from God. And so, we see in response to Joshua's faithfulness and his immediate reaction to the Lord's instructions that God delivers their enemies into their hands. Now, how this actually happens, I was trying to think about this. How does God deliver in their hands? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I had really, I was like, I was like, I'm trying to find some examples. Is it possible that some of them just fell on their swords because they were afraid? I don't know, maybe. Were they frozen in place and they couldn't move? I don't know, maybe. But all we do know is the fact that fear, man, fear was something that was evident already in the land. And so what probably happened is God brought this overwhelming fear upon these men. He, we know some of them will fell, some of them fell right there and died. Uh, because they were killed, but others, they ran away. We know that the verse number 8 shows us that they, they took off. But all we know is that this powerful, powerful army was made completely ineffective. They had incredible force, incredible strength. They were a mighty, mighty army, and yet they were made completely ineffective. What we do know is that the waters of Miram ran red with the blood of the men of the northern kingdoms. This was the result. Verse 8 says, And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. Joshua and his men decimate the infantry and wipe out the chariot force without losing a man. And you realize that God can do the same things for us? God can work in exactly the same way. There are forces that oppose us right now that are intimidating, that are big, that are scary, that are way bigger than us. And man, oh man, they're intimidating. But listen, no matter what it is, no matter if it's a person or a circumstance or a situation, whatever it is that's come to bring destruction into our lives, can I tell you that God can, can make it completely ineffective? Amen. He can take away its strength and its power over us. But you see what the Lord is so many times doing is He's waiting, He's waiting on us. He's waiting on us to be who it is He's called us to be. The result of Joshua's faithfulness and obedience to him is the fact that he's now facing adversity. And, and he's facing adversities that are falling, falling flat before him. He doesn't have to deal or stress about the moment of the situation. And when you and I have adversities in our life, man, can I just tell you this? If we will trust the Lord, if we'll understand that God's waiting to deliver a miraculous story, 
He's waiting to do something incredible. And if he's not doing it so many times, it's because we are sitting on our hands or we're not trusting him to move forward. We need to ask ourselves, are the works that we're doing, is the life that we're living, is the, is the faith that we're displaying, is it setting the stage for God to do the miraculous? Are we preparing the way? Or is God waiting on us? Because we're inconsistent. One day we're faithful and the next day we're not. And we want God to do something incredible. And he goes, why don't you just give me your heart? Give me your heart and, and watch me work. But the problem is, so many times, more often than not, God's waiting on us. And what happens is we'll sow to our flesh. We'll sow to our, our desires. We're seeking to fill our, ourselves. We want God to work for us. What we got to realize is this life is not about us. What we want is God to work through our life that our life would make a difference for His glory. And what happens is so many times, we've not, if we're not careful, we'll become self-serving. We'll serve God so that He'll do something for us. It's not the way it works. You know what, God? I'm going to pay my tithe because you know what? I want you to do a miracle in my life. I want you to bring some massive windfall. You know what, God? You know what? I'm going to show up to church. I'm going to be faithful. And it's amazing. In America, goodness gracious, showing up to church is a sacrifice. Oh, my word. Uh, you know, hey, I did get dressed. I did get in my car and drive all the way here. And I had to sit in this comfortable chair. And then, and then I had to drive all the way home. Oh, and amazing. But in our world, that's, that's a suffering. When we go to Malawi, I mean, I'll be in Malawi in, in February. When you go to Malawi, man, you got... You meet men there that are barefoot, that are 50, 60 years old, that have ridden a bicycle over a mountain. They travel for eight or ten hours just to get there and sit on a concrete floor for eight hours and listen and teach, listen to us teach. And, man, they're not distracted. They're not wasting time. They're not chatting, man. They're focused because they appreciate what's happened, what's being given. And I told you guys when I come back the last time that we were in a place and, and, uh, and I'd been talking for like, I've been teaching for like an hour. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm going to give them a break. And I told the translator, he's like, yeah, I'll let them know. And I said, we'll give them like five, ten minutes. Let them stretch their legs and stuff like that. Just, you know, just be ready. And I was like, okay. So I, 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 he told them that, and he's, I, you know, he translates out to them. And, and they all like, oh, and they stood up for a second. And I turned around and started talking to him. And I mean, like a minute later, he's like, they're ready. And I'm like, what? They're all sitting back down and ready to go. They literally stood up and went like this and sat right back down. And here, oh, my gosh, ten-minute break. Would you get him out of the parking lot? Hey, uh, there's some folks over at Pat Daddy's getting some sandwiches. You gotta, uh, get those people, call the ones at McDonald's, get them back here. Right? Is that not what happens? And you know what? This is a matter of, of, of commitment. Are we committed to what God wants? Or do we do what we do because of what we're going to get for it out of ourselves? So many times we're so selfish. Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10 says this. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. What he's saying is, you know what? Not only be careful of the sins in our lives, but he's also saying, you know what? I know your intentions. I know your motivations. If you're doing what you're doing so you can get me to do something for you, there's a problem. You need to do it because you love me. And if you love me and you do it for that reason, guess what? I'm going to bless you like you have no idea. But take it off of you and shift it onto me. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Verse 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household 
of faith. God rewards, rewards righteous acts of service unto him. And that's what he expects of us as his children. So you've seen Israel's response to God's instructions. God's response to Israel's obedience. Next, let's consider Israel's persistence in completing their mission. Verse 7 says this, Who smote them and chased them unto great Zidon and to Mishareth Maim, unto the valley of Mizpah eastward, and they smote them until they left them none remaining. So the text shows us that the, some of their enemies, some of the combatants there, fell at Miram, and there were others that ran away. And what we see is, concerning these Israelites, we see what their focus is. They're not just upon, they're not, their focus, not, it's not just upon taking Miram. It's not just about taking the ground. It's not just about conquering the land. It's about destroying their enemies. Because understand, they had won Miram, but then they leave Miram and they chase down those who flee, those that oppose God. And see, this is where so many times I think we as Christians fail in our world today. Because what we'll do is we'll show up to the spiritual battle. Hey, man, we show up on the battlefield. We're committed to fight the good fight. We're willing to really follow God's instructions. We'll even follow God's timing. But here's the problem. Once we start to see the victory, once the soldiers in the area fall and we start to feel that we've got this thing under control, you know what we have a tendency to do? Get satisfied. The slightest little victory and we start to become content. And this is a danger. Because what happens is, and recognize, Joshua understands that it's not about taking Miram. He knows it's about wiping out the enemy. And if we compare it to us, and we're dealing with sin in our lives, what happens is we'll get a little victory over sin, and we'll go, whew, good, all right, all right, I'm good to go. And we'll be happy because we've got this one little victory. And then all those other sins, those things that we should address and take care of in the moment, we don't. Because we become complacent and we're, ex- we're willing to accept that small victory. We've got to be conscious of the fact that, listen, we're not called to be holy in one area of our lives. We are called to be holy in all Amen. areas of our lives. God calls us to be holy. Not in one area, but in all areas. Listen to Ephesians chapter, chapter 4, verses 23 through 27. And being renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which after God, notice the focus here, is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's my expectation for you. Wherefore, because that's my expectation for you, wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. That's an all-encompassing one at the end. Verse number 27, man. Neither give place to the devil. Listen, don't let him hide in your promised land. Hunt down wickedness in the promised land. Destroy it through the power of God. Walk and surrender. Submitted, doing what God calls you to. Not what makes you comfortable. Not what makes you happy. But what God calls you to do. That's the key. When we go beyond what's easy. When we go beyond the limitations that we see. Well, we do what God calls us to do. Once God delivers victory over one area of sin in our lives, our heart's focus must be on going and dealing with sin in every area. But the question is, is that our focus? See, we get hung up on a short-term victory. Are we relaxing in celebration of a short-term victory 
while other sins that should be dealt with slip away into hiding. Again, He's called us not just to be holy in one area, but in all areas of our lives. Our life is supposed to give God glory. We cannot afford to let sin go unchecked. Because can I promise you that if you don't, if you don't follow it, if you don't chase it down, if you don't deal with it, it will, reach, it will show up again. And it will come with a vengeance. So many Christians give up the lifelong war for righteousness because they win a short-term battle and become satisfied. That's not God. what God's called us to. We should never be satisfied with our spiritual walk. Never. Can I tell you, if you do reach a point in time where you're content with your spiritual walk, you have become spiritually blind. It's the problem with the Laodicean church age. The last age we're in right now, one of the things God warns, He says, ye are blind. You're blind. Because we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say, you know what? Compared to my neighbor, I'm pretty good. But the Bible says we're not supposed to look at our neighbor. I'm supposed to look in the perfect law of liberty and see what manner of man I am. Are we holy? Are we righteous? Are we what God created us to be? Guess what? This spiritual warfare continues every day of your life for the rest of the time you're on this planet. Until you leave this day, until you leave this life, you're going to be in the fight. Listen to what Paul says as he comes to the end of his life. Paul knows his time's up, and this is how he finishes out. He writes this to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. We know what that day is, the return of God. And not me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Man, he's saying, finish right. Joshua and his men were committed to to, to not just winning the battle over Miram. They were committed to winning the battle, winning the war for Canaan. They would do whatever it took. The question is, will we complete our mission to be holy? This is our mission. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. It's right here. This tells us this is your mission. This is what we're supposed to do. That ye may be blameless. Hello? Blameless, meaning we're not in sin. Harmless. We're not here to hurt anybody. We're here to love this broken world. The sons of God, you stand before this world as a representation of Christ. You are a Christian, not because you claim to be because of the words of your mouth, but because your life speaks of God's holiness. In the midst, we're true. These things are true of us. We're blameless. We're harmless. We're sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights, listen, in the world. He says, your life is supposed to be a light. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Is our light, is our life a light? It should be blinding to those around us. If we walk with God, His light will shine. If we walk in the flesh, it'll be darkness. Is this the focus of our lives? According to God, it should be. And then lastly, I'm almost done. Israel's adherence to God's command. Verse 9. And Joshua did unto them as the Lord bade him. He hoofed 
their horses and burnt their chariots with fire. Now, this is what God told Joshua to do. Now, we can imagine from a human perspective, okay, if we were considering what's going on here, this is probably not what Joshua would have chosen to do. Just being realistic, right? Consider the fact that you've got this incredibly powerful weapons. These things have literally sitting here right in front of you. Left to your own devices or left to their own devices, I believe that probably very shortly after this battle, Joshua would go, man, I got to show you our new, our new wing over here, which is all these chariots we got. We got a whole new division of our army. This is amazing. Check out, man. Look at all that stuff, right? Because remember, he's a military man. He's been fighting all of his life. He's a soldier. He's a general. So he has watched fortifications. He just fought all those battles in southern Canaan. So he's going, man, imagine how much more powerful we would have been. Boy, to hear the rumble of those chariots coming down, you know what, buddy, would have been a sight to see, man. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? But that wasn't God's plan for them. God said, no, 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 no. You'll destroy them. You will destroy them. And so what happens? Because what Joshua could do is he could have said, but God, you don't understand. I mean, <laughs> I mean, we would use those things to fight for you. You know what I'm saying? God, this would be all about you. I would put a cross on the front of every one of them chariots, man. <laughs> We'd be all over it. I'm telling you, God, them things would be rocking. And we would be singing, hooray for God. We would. And God's like, no, destroy them. And see what happens in our lives? There are things that come along. And boy, we're like, Ooh. It could be a person. Someone in our life. And man, oh man, we're taken with them. Man, they, 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 are, they are important to us. And we look at them and we go, Whew. God, you just don't understand. One day I'm going to reach them. One day I'm going to, I'm going to, their, their life's going to be, give you great glory. And yet in your own heart, you feel them drawing you away from your Lord. Right? And what will happen is we spiritualize the reason why we should not do what God's telling us to do. We don't see Joshua do that. He just does what God tells him. He responds in obedience. You know, we go, oh man, my house is nice, but man, if I had a nicer house. Well, my car is good, but you know, if I had a nicer car. If I had this, if I had that. And what happens is we have these things, and what will happen is we'll spiritualize. God, I'll live in it for your glory. God, I'll drive this car for your glory. Yes, I will. Uh-huh. Praise Jesus. Right? And we'll, sell, we'll try to sell it to ourselves and try to sell it to God. And yet God says, you know what? It's not for you. It's just not for you. I need you to eliminate it from your life. And so many times, this is a struggle for you and I, even though we know what we're supposed to do. Many times, we struggle to do it. Because you see, the flesh lusts after things. Man, and our flesh is directly attached to our eyes and our ears and our bellies. And our imaginations. And man, oh man, they can tell us some stuff that, boy, oh boy, would it be just so good. And God says, no. Will we, will we listen? Earlier when we were talking about living righteously, we were in a chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 through 27. And that finished with that verse that said, neither give place to the devil. And we understand what that's about. It's about trying to live righteously. But I want us to jump back to verse 22. Let's look at Ephesians 4.22 and we'll wrap up. 
It says that you put off concerning the former conversation. This is who we were prior to salvation, the old man, okay, which is corrupt. Okay, this old man, who we were before salvation, is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Okay, it doesn't say just lusts. It calls them deceitful lusts, lusts that will 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 explode in our hearts. And we will lie to ourselves that we deserve them or that it's okay even though God tells us it's not right. We will allow our lust to deceive us right into sin, right into allowing things, giving place to the devil is just what it warns us in verse 27. If we're not careful, we are our own worst enemy. We've got to be willing to receive God's instructions and do them. And do them. Do them. And what we find here is the fact that at the end, man, Joshua follows through. He does exactly what God commands him. He utterly destroys all of them. Everyone. You see, God knows what we need. And he also knows what we don't need. See, it comes down to this. Will we trust his leading? Right? Will we trust his leading? As God's drawing us, man. Will we trust His plan? His plan for us. And will we burn the chariots? Or, oh, will we fall prey to our deceitful lusts and climb up into our chariots and ride them off into the distance? Our life, the testimony of our life will reveal which choice we made. Will we live a life that glorifies God? Or does our story get lost amongst the world? We get to choose. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, God, for blessing us with your word. Uh, Lord, I I am so thankful for the Bible. I'm so thankful uh, for the spirit of God that dwells within us that helps us to discern and understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 tells us, verses 9 through 11, explain to us that we don't understand the Word of God except by way of the Spirit. And God, thank you so much for the Spirit that has worked today. Thank you for the way that you've spoken to my heart. If no one else received anything from this message, God, you have, you have landed on me like a ton of bricks. And Lord, I pray that you help us to be mindful of instructions as we receive them. And Lord, but help us not only just to be receivers of messages, but Lord, help it to translate into action in our lives, that we would follow through complete the mission, Lord, that our hearts would not be set on the things of the world, but they would be set on those things, God, that are glorifying to you. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, as we're all dealing with different verses and different levels, I ask God that you'd please bless them, direct them, guide them. God, give them ears to hear your spirit as you grip them and you pull them and you, re- you make them aware of things that they need to remove from their lives. Lord, may we all respond in kind. May we all respond in destroying the things that are wrong. And Father, embracing those things that are right. Lord, I pray that you do a work in our lives and in this church. Father, as we move forward in 2023, Lord, help us. Help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. God, what could we do if every member of this church was fully committed to the mission, was fully committed to holiness, was fully committed to giving you glory? What could we do? Oh, I'd love to see it but it's up to us. And if you're here today and you say, listen, I don't know where I stand with God. There are plenty of people that sit in church services that are on their way to hell. There are plenty of people that claim Christianity that are on their way to hell. 
Because let me tell you this, salvation is not a matter of, it's not about a matter of religious understanding. It's not a matter of even believing in God. Because the Bible says that the devil, we know he believes in God. He stood in the presence of God. The Bible says that the devils tremble in the presence of God. So demons literally respond emotionally to God. They don't doubt his reality. They don't doubt whether or not he exists. But they've never given him their hearts. And see, that's it. You can know all about God and bust hell wide open. But the question is this, have you received his son? The gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A gift. A gift requires the one who gives it to pay. But the one that receives it, to them it's free. God offers a free gift of faith. If you feel him drawing you today, it's the spirit of God saying, I want you to be my child. I want you to be mine. It's by faith. Faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He paid the price for the debt that we owe. And if we'll trust him by faith and receive him as our Savior, that debt will be paid for all eternity. So if you're here today and you said, I don't know where I stand with God, but I want to receive him, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. There's no magic in a prayer. There's no ceremony. It is nothing more than your heart calling out to a loving God. If you feel him drawing you, all you have to do is respond. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, you're going to repeat after me in your heart and mind. And let's talk to him. He's listening, I can promise you. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I am so sorry for my sin. I believe that you died on the cross. That you were buried in a borrowed tomb. And you raised on the third day. Proving you were God. Right now, in the best way I know how, I am asking you to come into my heart. I'm asking you to save my soul. And I'm asking you to give me a home in heaven. By faith, I receive you as my Savior. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head still bad. I still.